Welcome to episode 618 of The Sleeper in the Bust. I'm Justin Mason, joined by Jason Collette. Jason, how you doing? Doing swimmingly. <laughs> 25 straight wins. I know this is a baseball podcast, but you know it's going to be UCF Corner. Mm-hmm. Back-to-back American Athletic Conference champs. Back-to-back undefeated regular seasons. Back-to-back getting a middle finger from the college football playoff. I'm sorry, college football payoff. Why do I keep saying playoff? It's payoff. College football payoff. Um but I'm still doing outstanding because they were losing 38-21 at halftime uh, and getting and, and gave up the most rushing yards and a half that any team has ever given up. I mean, that's bad. That's bad, bad. And they still won by two scores. So much better. Uh, looks like I'm going back to Phoenix again, though, uh, because uh, it looks like they're going to have to go to the Fiesta Bowl to play LSU. And not official yet, but uh, Phoenix is expensive to go to around New Year's. Is it? Is that, oh, is that it, where all like, like the old people go to celebrate New Year's? Apparently, because uh, you cannot get out there for under 500 bucks from Charlotte. Uh, you cannot wow. get out there. My Orlando friends are in the same boat. Uh, I, uh, I, and they, and I'm only sharing this story in case you have a similar boat. But you know, my 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 deceased father flew uh, a lot of Southwest. And I manage his account. Well, you know, he passed away in July of 16. Ha- haven't had to book a flight because my stepmom doesn't fly. Uh, she told me to hold on to the points. So I happened to go into the Southwest account because I was going to ask her, like, hey, I'm going to use some stuff. I, and I go to book and wouldn't let me book. So I called the Southwest. And they were like, oh, yeah, you're not because your account was about to be shut off on December 8th because of no activity. I was like, whoa. Um, there's no activity because the man's deceased. I'm his son, uh, and I run the account. I have every bit of information you could ever want. And they're like, oh, if you buy 600 points for $60, you can keep the account open for two more years. I'm like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that because there were there was 162,000 miles in that account, which oh, wow. on Southwest could be <laughs> like 10 flights. Um, and so I was like, yeah, I'm going to go ahead and do that. So I'm going out there, thankfully. Uh, thanks, Dad. Um, uh, to go to the bowl game, and I had enough. I still had enough hotel points lingering around uh, and rental car points, so it's all covered now. It's just a matter of getting the game ticket with friends. But going to Phoenix last year was great because it was Atlanta. Everybody drove. We had thirty-five thousand fans going to Phoenix. I already, I make my one trip to Phoenix every year. I really didn't want to go to Phoenix, but New Year's Six bowl game. What can you say, man? Yeah, I mean that's pretty awesome. Uh, you know, I, I will say the only thing my dad left me when he passed was debt. So that's pretty nice of him to leave you some uh, uh, some good frequent flyer miles. I, I got a question before we move on to baseball, and I, I know a lot of people don't like the football talk, and we won't talk about the Redskins because that's that's depressing. Uh, but I, I just wanted to ask you about UCF. So you guys are missing your starting quarterback. Would you Correct. rather make it into the the I don't know what they call the playoff in college football and get destroyed or not make it and still be able to kind of be like, we're still undefeated in the champs. Uh, Just give me the chance. That's all I asked for. I'm not, I'm not saying that's all I, I would love an 18 playoff and get rid of the conference championship games because they mostly have been garbage. Uh, I mean, look at last night, look at Ohio state. uh, The only good one was the early one. Mm -hmm. I mean, Clemson, Clemson Pitt was awful. Ohio State Northwestern was awful. Um, well, so I need to take that back. The Alabama Georgia game uh, was good for a while, and then Georgia realized they were Georgia, and um, just like the previous year. So, yeah, for the most, I would prefer that would be round one instead of playing for conference championships. Just eighteen playoff. 
five power five and three at large or or five the the six conferences and two at large whatever open just give people a chance this this whole four thing if if two if a team could go undefeated two consecutive seasons and not get an invite it really is not open to everybody it's open to five conferences and play somebody understand play schedules are made five years in advance you know five years five years ago when ucf scheduled pittsburgh Pittsburgh was winning the ACC was in the ACC title game again uh, five years ago when they were scheduling Georgia Tech. Georgia Tech was a top ACC team. That game got washed out. Uh, that game got washed out this year. Or was it last, last year? It got washed out last year. I'm forgetting the one that got washed out this year. Um, but yeah, they had perhaps it was Georgia Tech again. I don't recall. I'm drawing a blank, but the washout game and then Pittsburgh, you know, they, they ended up doing, but you can't control weather and you can't control schedules. And once you're, once you're a non P five team, you start getting good. Nobody wants to schedule you unless you do a one and done at their house or a neutral site and non P five schools can't afford to do that because they need those home games to generate revenue. I mean, I was looking at it and talking with the NFL dude this morning. Uh, the, the lowest, the lowest big 10 school has an athletic budget of $89 million in a year. Lowest 89, UCF's at 56. It's like that's the difference between the haves and the have-nots and having a $40 million football budget and a $4 million football budget. It's that's, I mean, I love college. All this, I love college football as much as I despise the NFL. That's where I am. Uh, and I, I love the pageantry of it. I love that the quality of games and that you could be down. If an NFL team's down 38 21 at halftime, that game's pretty much over. That doesn't happen in college football. Yeah, I just can't get past them not paying their athletes. I mean, well, yeah, not being allowed oh, to pay their athletes. I just, oh, I agree. Me, it's a nonprofit, and you see these mega salaries and these coaches just leaving and getting bought out. Uh, yeah, that drives me nuts. Oh, we don't have, we can't afford to, and yet they, they'll give, yeah, you know, they'll give somebody twelve million dollars. Larry Fedora, they'll give him twelve million dollars to leave North Carolina early, and then they'll go give more money to get um, to get Mac Brown to come back. It's like, no, 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 you can't cry poor, and they're just willing to give. Just, 10 yeah, plus million dollar buyouts to get yeah. rid of a guy to do it to the next guy. Sorry, not buying it. All right, let's talk baseball. Yeah, who let's, are let's, still listening here? <laughs> <laughs> let's we'll transition to baseball now. Uh, and since you and I last talked about two weeks ago, we've had a flurry of activity. Uh, still waiting on the kind of big two to sign in terms of Harper and Machado. That will probably happen. I don't know in the next. A few weeks, maybe around Christmas time, but uh, we've had some trades, we've had some non-tenders, and we've had some signings already. Uh, and we got to start with the. Uh, we're kind of going in chronological order, at least the chronological order I pulled up off of MLB trade rumors. Uh, so we'll start with uh, James Paxton getting traded to the New York Yankees. Uh, Yankees are looking for rotation help. I don't think they're necessarily done after this move either. But what are your thoughts about Paxton being a Yankee? Uh, right move for them. Um, I, my only concern, and I, I've said the same thing last year with Paxton. He only has, I mean, first of all, he's 30 years old. I mean, I, I don't know if people remember. He just turned 30. Uh, we're now in December, so he turned 30 last month. Uh, so he's 30 years old, and he only has one season of more than, uh, we don't have a big ending season. This year was it, 160. That's it. Uh, and I don't know how that gets better. 
Uh, there's always been something. He's never last year. The high water mark was 28, 28 starts, hundred and sixty innings. Before that, it was the season before that, and the one was the season before that. So I mean, he's he's got this linear progression of workload. But this is what you would expect from a guy that's twenty six, not at thirty. Uh, you know, that said, everything else is trending in the right direction. Strikeout rates up. Uh, last year, the home run rate was up. And when I was looking at him, uh, you know, part of the issue there was he got. Things really got abnormal on him uh, in the against righties. I mean, his lefty righty splits. I remember just I want to look at because I I wrote his player capsule for the Rotowire magazine, and as soon as I could find it, I want to read exactly what I said because it was worth. You know, the, the splits were really weird last year, and that's something that you know we we talk about. That's not something that repeats year after year. You can have an outlier season, but like oh okay, that was that was interesting. That was weird. Um, so I don't see that coming. Here we go. I said, Ben Maple's season was highlighted by a no-hitter in his home country, but somewhat abbreviated with a tired, oh, my internet is so much garbage today, uh, tired shoulder, and I can't read the rest of it. Uh, so I just remember talking about the, there we go, uh, tired shoulder, uh, we have limiting 160 innings, improved the strikeout rate for a fourth consecutive season, which is impressive for a pitcher with no true off-speed pitch. Um, he went from a heavy ground ball pitcher to more of a fly ball one, um, and that impacted his home run rate, which more than which doubled last season, causing for the jump in ERA. Health remains a risk with 160 innings. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 20 of the home runs last year were hit by righty. So if he gets anything that can fade away, he needs some kind of semblance uh, of a of a uh, of an off speed pitch, something that goes the other way a little bit, or a cutter that's going to come in on the hands. Uh, you know, maybe he could take that. But even David Price has a uh, has a change up. But you know, for me, the the switch over to the American League East and the shorter dimensions of Camden and Fenway, uh, Toronto. I mean, that's the you know that place. That's I'm concerned uh, for the the ballpark switch uh, there with him. So I've got health. I've got a health risk. I've got a ballpark risk. I've got a guy skills when he pitches is a high number two, but I, I, I'm not comfortable drafting him there because of the risk. I think people, and one of the things you highlighted first was his age. I think people forget that one, he, he was a college pitcher. So he, he, you know, he, he was, he wasn't in, or he's being in the minor leagues for as long as he was, uh, was largely because he couldn't stay healthy in the minor leagues either. So, uh, right. And then he's had all these health issues, I love the talent. If you could guarantee me uh, 175 innings next year, I would probably be on board with what the price is going to be considering I'm assuming there is going to be a bump in ADP after this. You know, Going to the Yankees, leaving uh, leaving the Mariners, people think they're going to get a ton of wins. I, I just I don't love the ballpark. I don't love his health history. I love him as a pitcher, but I think I'm going to get priced out this year. Yeah, and I, I mean, this is a guy that I love quite a bit. I think my I had him as a top three for Cy Young within the last two years. Maybe it was 17, and he was pitching like that until he got hurt. Um, but I know I was very high on him coming into the season. I've always liked him. Uh, I, it doesn't change here, but I think when you add when you add the Yankee tax to him, that that takes him that takes him out of my price range. Yeah, this is one of those situations where. And, uh, I can't remember. Who, I think it might have been Paul actually talking about on a recent episode. Uh, you know, whether or not I like someone is very fluid based on price. 
You know, there's right. obviously going to be certain guys that uh, that I'm always going to be in on or always going to be out on just because I don't love the skills or I love the skills. Uh, but then there's guys like Paxson who I really like the skills. The skills improved last year. He got more swings outside of the zone. Uh, the swinging strike rate uh, went up almost 2% last year. Uh, he's not giving up as much contact. Uh, I mean, there there's a lot to really like about Paxton, but if the price goes through the roof, I think people are going to start treating him like an SP1, and I don't want James Paxton as my SP1. Oh, no. You can't... <laughs> I mean, there's been a lot of – I saw a lot of tweets this week from Matt Modica and Vlad Sedler talking about, uh, you know, the number of pitchers. I saw it all over the place this week, uh, the number of pitchers that are throwing X amount of innings, like even 180. And that number has been on decline over the past five or six years. And they both talked about, hey, you should be putting more value on those staff aces. You can't draft a guy as a staff ace that is only, that has eclipsed the 160 inning mark by a third of an inning one time in his career with with that with that kind of gap if, if this is your plan you're trying to adjust to the current marketplace i don't see how you draft this guy's nsp1 yeah i like for me and like i know there's obviously different question marks with a guy like carlos martinez but doesn't carlos martinez have virtually the same upside and in, in the same red flags and he's going to be going five six seven rounds later uh yep so I just, yeah, I, I can't buy in on the price. A guy that you bought in on last year after he was traded to your team uh, and then went out to produce a really good season, got non-tendered. CJ Cron gets non-tendered by your Rays, signs with Minnesota to hit in the middle of their lineup. What are your thoughts on the move by the Rays first and then uh, what his future looks like in Minnesota? So I would have preferred to keep him around, uh, at least for the offseason. Now, I mean, I can... This wasn't a money thing as much as it was roster flexibility thing. I mean, they have a, a number of things happening on the roster. I mean, when you look at the fact that you've, you've got Kiermaier, you've got Pham, and you've got Meadows that are pretty much your one, two, three in the outfield. Um, you know, then they've got – you saw what Brandon Lau did coming up last year and the way he hit the ball. You've got to find stuff for him. you got Daniel Robertson coming back, and you saw the way he hit the ball and played defense. They got him coming. You know, they've got Christian Arroyo coming. They've got a lot of guys that can play a lot of places. And when you have one guy tying up DH and you can't take him out of there, that becomes a problem for a team that values defense and flexibility. And I think that's – Ultimately, that's what happened here uh, when they looked at it and kind of a couple of years ago when the when Chris Carter led the National League in home runs and got DFA'd himself. I mean, at least he was a National League guy, but this was an American League. But, you know, the team likes to move those guys around and having somebody that you can't move around uh, is problematic. Now, he hit. I mean, you look at the offensive production. You know, he was uh, his weighted runs created plus was 127. I mean, he can hit. Last year, I predicted him as a 30 home run guy. He hit 30 home runs. He got that last one over the final weekend. Um, and so that came out to be, for a guy that had never hit more than 17 in a season, clearly, clearly playing full-time or mostly full-time helped him do that. You know, now going to Minnesota, uh, you know, that should – when you look at that pitching in that division outside of Cleveland, how that played out, uh, it, it should help him, and he should get the opportunity to do things there. Um, but again, he he's not that far removed from times where he, you know, the overexposure issue. I mean, there's a reason why the Angels didn't play him as much, um, but he showed 
he showed that he could handle that with Tampa Bay, but that was just one season. And let's see how everybody uh, adjusts to the thing. I mean, with 30 home runs and, and only being able to drive in, what, 65, 68 guys, uh, that's one of the other issues, too. I mean, there were guys on base in front of him. He did have his struggles with dudes on base, but that's not a skill. That's not something we're going to measure, but it's something to keep an eye on. Uh, but again, I would have rather kept him around to see how the offseason, because they could go get him back. It's not like they want, it's not like if, if some of the talk about them trying to pursue a Nelson Cruz um, on a short term deal, if they don't get him, maybe they just go buy Cron back and it costs them a little more money to do that. But at least it gives them the flexibility this offseason to look at a couple of things. Because if they, let's say they get Nelson Cruz and Jason goes running down the street naked in celebration. Um, you know, then what do you do with Cron? Then you're going to you're going to end up DFAing him right there anyhow because you can't carry two DHs. And he uh, can't play first base. So it's that's it, it was it was either going to happen now or it was going to happen later. Yeah. That said I still like him at 19. I yeah, I mean I I didn't love the move, but I totally understand it. We talked about this almost two, three months ago, you and I, when we were talking uh-huh. about the future roster crunch of the Rays and that uh, they were going to, you know, you predicted that they were going to have to jettison Malik Smith, which they did. Uh, and then, you know, that they were going to have to figure out how they were going to get other guys in the roster and that, you know, maybe there would be multiple trades. Well, they couldn't trade Kron, but they were able to DFAM, get room for uh, G-Man Choi or a potential uh, bargain guy like uh uh, Nelson Cruz, who would be just a boon to your, in the middle of your guys' lineup. So, keep in mind, I wanted Nelson Cruz in 2008 when he was languishing in the Rangers farm system. So, yeah, this has been a long time. Hence, the I would run down the street naked in celebration that they signed up. Well, I'm I'm hoping I'm just not in the Greater Charlotte area when this happens. So. <laughs> <laughs> but uh, I like him in Minnesota. I think uh, if you look at their roster, he's gonna play. I mean, there's yeah. no reason for him not to. Uh, uh, I worry a little bit that right now roster resources uh, has him penned in as the first baseman because I think he should DH, but I guess with Jake Cave uh, on the roster and projected to be in the starting lineup, uh, at least for the strong side platoon, uh, you have to have CJ Cron at first. So uh, I think he'll be fine. Um, you know, he is who he always kind of has been, a guy who's going to swing and miss uh, a fair amount, but he's going to make decent contact, and when he does, that contact uh, is going to potentially go over the fence. Uh, I don't know if I would project 30 home runs, but I think he's a pretty safe bet for 25. Um, right. You know, 250 average, and that's pretty nice considering – in spite of a 30 home run season, nobody is drafting CJ Cron again. Yeah, he is what he is. But I think, uh, you know, last year the value was there for everybody. This year, it's with 30 home runs, there's just not going to be the value. You're going to have to plan accordingly around him and, and build in and build in some of the risk if he can't repeat if he slides back down towards 20. I just I can't bank on 30, uh, but I don't think the you know, he was he was freely available. Last year, for the most part, freely available. Um, that's not going to be the case this year. Yeah, I, I I think it'll be more expensive, but I don't think it's going to break the bank. I, don't, I think I think actually the move out of Tampa to Minnesota may kind of temper some people's expectations. Uh, let's uh, let's talk about the Braves because they made multiple signings. Uh, the Braves seem to be uh, a constant uh, r- part of the rumor mill this uh, hot stove season. Uh, they signed Brian McCann, and then they signed Josh Donaldson to a one-year, $23 million deal. 
what are your thoughts on uh, McCann and Donaldson in Atlanta? You know, I, you know, kudos to Atlanta for making a push in a division where they can move the needle like this. Uh, you know, obviously they won it last year. You want to preserve your momentum. They have a lot of young guys. You know, if you talk about uh, who was the club, this is kind of what the Astros did when the Astros got good, and then they they you know in, when they won the when they won the title in seventeen, they talked about bringing in that veteran presence to help the kids. Well, it looks like that's what Atlanta's doing here. You know, not only did Atlanta bring in Mike Fast from the Astros, but he also brought over Brian McCann. You bring over Donaldson, who's a Southern boy from the area, but can wanted to come back to Atlanta. They just re-signed Johnny Ventures, too. It's like they're building all of these veteran guys to go in with all of these kids. Yeah, they have, you know, you had Freeman, but with you, you have to offset youth with experience. And ultimately that's what I like best here. Uh, yeah, I think uh, Donaldson on, uh, on a one-year motivational contract uh, will be, is, I, puts him, especially in that, in that division and park is going to put him clear. You know, he's not going to squeeze into the, and I don't consider him a top three round anymore. Whereas that's where I always draft him because I loved him that much. Um, I don't think he's there, but I like the fact that he's on a one-year deal with uh, you know the fact he he wants to reset his career and try it for one more time, and he's taking that risk. And if he gets hurt again, who knows what happens? But ultimately, I think this is a better off the field situation thing for Atlanta, whereas that's where it's really going to help. Yeah, I, I agree with you, but I I love the. I mean, they obviously cashing in on the fact that Donaldson played m- almost all of the year last year hurt. Uh, who you know probably would have gotten a three year deal. Uh, oh, yeah. From someone. Uh, and I think he didn't he turn down like a five year deal from Toronto. Um, he did. So, you know, I, I love when everybody's always like, oh, why do you take that team friendly deal? This is why <laughs> sometimes yeah. people take these teams. I mean, it worked. Deals. And the. The McCann and, Fla- and the McCann and Flowers situation will be is a nice steady. I mean, last year was a little weird having two right-handed catchers. That said, uh, Suzuki was Suzuki was actually one of the reverse splits guys, really well against righties, not as well as lefties. I mean, that's where that's where Flowers has enjoyed uh, his thing, but that makes for a cleaner platoon between the two. And yeah. So playing time, I don't you know, uh, I just still don't think McCann's like a back end mixed league catcher uh at this stage of his career very like a dollar days mixed league catcher i'm not crazy that's where he is locked up like 15 team mixed league if you have two catchers you oh yeah, take, two you catcher, know, yeah sure. that's even a 12 team two catcher but mm-hmm. the single catcher league forget it yeah and yeah in a single catcher league yeah, i don't think either of these guys are necessarily viable but i think you're right in in a in a two catcher league, like uh, you mentioned, the Rotowire uh, magazine, I'm I'm doing the mock draft this year for that, uh, and these guys will both be kind of on my radar if I don't take a catcher earlier uh, in the you know 15 team NFPC format. So, uh, you know, other than that, I'm not super interested uh, in in McCann. Uh, I think you know he's he's going to be 35 entering to you know 2019. Uh, he's shown a ton of skills decline. I think he I think he's exactly what you said. He's that uh, off the field presence they wanted to bring in a guy who has been in the league a long time. He gets to come home and finish out his career in, in Atlanta and, and kind of provide some leadership for, for the team. Donaldson, you know I think his price will definitely go up a little bit after this signing because people are going to. Uh, think about SunTrust and the short porch 
but I mean, he's right-handed, so he's not necessarily benefiting from the short porch in the same way that a lefty would. Uh, I want to see where his price is. There's a lot of risk to taking a guy like Donaldson, and I think you're right. You can't take him in the first three rounds, but if he falls to the fifth or sixth uh, in your either your 15-team drafts, I'm going to be really tempted to jump on that because, I mean, this is a guy who was a perennial first-round pick uh, that you're being able to get extremely late, and he showed a little bit of health at the end of the season, which is always something I want to see. If Yeah, if he's, if he's there in the fifth round, I'm going to have a hard time not passing on him. Very hard time. Yeah, it just really, for me, it's going to depend all on roster construction. I'm really trying in, in drafts, uh, in, in my mocks and drafts right now, not to take a pitcher in the first three rounds. And so usually about four or five, fifth round, that's where I'm, I'm swiping up pitchers. And so it's going to be hard for me to want to, uh, to take a guy like Donaldson in, in that spot. Yeah. Uh, let's move on and talk about another signing. This one is an interesting one just because I think it maybe says a lot about what is going on with health of a different player on this team. Uh, the Pirates signed Lonnie Chisenhall to a deal. Uh, Chisenhall, who was a former top prospect that never really panned out, but has been a, a decent role player when healthy uh, for the Indians, now going out to Pittsburgh. Does this say... Uh, or speak volumes to you about the health of Gregory Polanco, and what are your thoughts on Lonnie Chisinau in Pittsburgh? I don't know if it's volumes as much as just insurance. I mean, when you look at when you look at what else they had hanging around, you know, you've got Jose Asuna, Pablo Reyes. Uh, to me, it's just more of an insurance policy of what's going on out there. Jason Martin. I just look at the guys that are still on the forty-man roster. Uh, you know, to me, it's, it's proven insurance. It's a lefty off the it's a lefty off the bench, even if things don't work out, because their entire bench is right-handed, uh, and it gives them somebody that can play that can air quote play left and right field. So I, I'm not in a NL only league. If I'm if I'm a like Tout Wars or Labor 12 team NL, I'm looking for somebody uh, that's going to have that should in season be able to qualify a couple of spots. Uh, then I'm inter- I'm interested there. Uh, I just don't know if I see a path to 350 plate appearances here. Oh, I think there's definitely a path. I mean, I think he is going to be their Jose Tabata or uh, maybe even kind of like their Josh Harrison, who's no longer on the team. You know, a guy who's going to be able to kind of fill in at multiple positions, but I think he's going to start every day uh, at the beginning of the season. I mean, unless they go out and get someone, and that's not really their MO is to go out and, you know, you know, pay someone a contract right now. I think he is their starting right fielder opening day, and then he plays in different spots for them. Uh, Starling Marte has had injuries. Uh, Corey Dickerson isn't always healthy. Uh, you know, are they really going to rely on guys like uh, Jung Ho Gong uh, playing every day? I can't believe they brought him back, by the way. Uh, I totally can't. I mean, I hear you. I hear you. But we're also talking about a guy that's had 270 plate appearances in 17 when similar situations were there, and he didn't even hit 100 last yeah, year. Because he had uh, got got the, yeah, but if you just, even uh, you go back to 2017, but opportunities were there, and he couldn't make. And you know, he's still a, a platoon guy at, at the end of the day. I don't know. I'm still taking the under on 350 PA. Okay. Yeah, I, I think he's an NL only guy, but I think he's actually going to be a fairly. Uh, uh, nice piece for an NL only uh, squad. 
A uh, guy that I don't think is going to be a nice piece for any squad, no matter what the format. You could be playing in an AL Central-only league, uh, and I want nothing to do with Matt Moore, who has signed a one-year contract to go pitch for the Tigers, Paul's team. So I'm sure he's stoked. Uh, <laughs> what are your thoughts on Matt Moore in Detroit? My only thought about this is uh, he is a re- Matt Moore is a reminder of not everybody comes back from Tommy John surgery the way they went into it. I mean, Matt Moore, before his Tommy John surgery, was pitching great. Uh, since he's come back from that, he's been mostly garbage. And this this is like they're, you know, I was actually intrigued last year when they grabbed Mike Fires in this role. And I, you know, I said Mike Fires would be a top 100 starting pitcher. He was, uh, you know, he pitched well. I have zero intrigue here. I mean, this is clearly sponge up some innings. We need somebody to come in and do it. If you've watched Matt Moore pitch, there's nothing left in that tank. Uh, I don't, I'm not, I'm not buying the name value. I think it's just that the biggest lesson here is don't assume everybody is going to come back from Tommy John surgery and pick up right where they left off. We've talked often on this, on this podcast about that first year. It's about, you know, the velocities there, but you don't have the command and then command comes around a year two, but we're still waiting for Matt Moore to find his command. It's been, he got hurt in 14. Uh, he came back in 16. So it's been three years. And we're still waiting for Matt Moore to throw strikes on a consistent basis. Yeah. Oh, and he doesn't have the velocity back either. Yeah, I was just about to say, too. He's, he's, he hasn't even cracked 93 um, in terms of average fastball velocity the last few years. So, uh, And I don't know if I've ever seen this in the pitch values over on fan graphs. His fastball uh, 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 value, negative 15 in 2017 and negative 14.6 in 2018. Matt Morris. I thought dog. I was just I thought I was just going to say LOL in his in his pitch values, but <laughs> it, just, it might as well. He did not have or he his, his changeup was uh almost zero in terms of pitch value and then the rest of his pitches were all negative last season. I mean, this is a guy whose stuff has completely deteriorated uh without the velocity, uh, nothing plays well on it. Uh it's it's just all gone downhill for a guy who was a really fun pitcher to watch at one point. Um, and I just, I, I, I know why, you know, Detroit is rebuilding and they just need a guy to go out there every fifth day and soak up some innings for them. And that's what he's going to do. Uh, but please, oh, please, oh, please do not put him on your AL only rosters. Yeah. No, please not worth your time. Uh, a guy who is always worth my time. I was talking earlier about uh, there's always going to be guys that I love, uh, you know, because I love the skills and it doesn't matter, you know, how badly they abuse me. Um, I'm going to just continue to be in on him. And uh, one of those guys signed a two-year deal with the San Diego Padres. And that is uh, my boyfriend, Garrett Richards. Uh, he had Tommy John this last year, uh, and he will most likely miss the majority, if not all, of 2019. Uh, but they're betting on a 2020 resurgence. What are your thoughts on Garrett Richards in San Diego? They're betting. They're betting a lot of money on that. I mean, they're paying 16 million dollars for him to come back. I don't like this at all. I mean, the, the two-year getting back to what we just discussed with Matt Moore, year one coming back out of surgery. Uh, you're looking for command, and I, we don't even know how much, if any, that Garrett Richards is going to pitch in 2019. So now we're talking about 2020, and we're going to pay him 15 million dollars to pitch without without full command. That I don't get. I mean, I thought honestly when he got hurt going into the season, 
it was something. Let's compare it. Let's compare it to two years ago when Tampa Bay landed Nate Eovaldi in a similar situation on a two-year, four million dollar deal, and with a team option in that as that second year. So the Rays picked it up, and that's how they got Eovaldi. Then traded him uh, to get uh, Jalen Beeks. Clarence's son, and, and then Evaldi goes to Boston and helps him win a World Series. God damn it. Uh, and oh, did I say that out loud? Shit, sorry. Uh, yeah, but that's what I thought. Okay, that's what I thought would happen here. But to get 400 times the price, or four, four times the price uh, of what Evaldi costs to do this kind of deal. I mean, I like San Diego. They got a huge, deep farm system. Maybe they go trade. Yeah, they go trade for Syndergaard, but. This I don't get. I, I really don't. And I like Garrett Richards. I had him as a top three Cy Young pitcher coming into 2018. That said, I there's no way I would have given him this contract. I from a purely baseball perspective, I completely agree with you. Because like you said, he had he had his Tommy John in July, so you know, twelve to eighteen months gives him a chance to start pitching at the end of the year next year. Um in two thousand nineteen. But even then, like even if he gets 30 or 40 innings, are they really going to get more than 130, 140 innings in 2020? So you just paid 15 or $16 million for those 130 innings uh, in, in 2020? I, I, it doesn't make sense to me. I mean, I guess because they're in the last year of the deal, they can just run them out there and run them into the ground and just, until it pops back out again or something. But... It just seems like I thought it was a misprint. Yeah. When I saw it come across the tracker, I honestly thought it was a misprint. I was like, wait, what? How much money? (laughs) I mean, don't get me wrong. I love Garrett Richards, and I will probably have a share uh, in 2020. I'm I'm not. I'm not. I mean, I drafted him in a dynasty league uh, draft I just did, but we're talking about a league that is. 30 teams, 45 man rosters, so and, and unlimited DL. So I just you know drafted him and stashed him on my DL because, like I said, he's my boyfriend. I, I've I've loved him for a long time, uh, but from a purely you know redraft perspective in 2019, no way he's on any roster of mine, and uh, I would be very um, tentative on even trying to get him in a keeper league. Like I know like you're in an NL only keeper. Like, are you throwing a buck on him on the end of the auction and stashing him for, for 2020? A buck. Sure. Okay. So I think I would do a buck or two, but I think that even that, I mean, unless you have the limited DL, that's going to be hard in this day and age. And that's the, and that's the thing in the NL league. I'm only down to one. I had, I dropped one. I, I just didn't see the, the I had two NL only uh, keeper leagues. And one of them was making the shift to on base percentage and uh, and saves plus holds, and we're looking at switching from quality from wins to quality starts, and I'm loving that. So I'm like, I'm going, I'm staying with that league, um, and at that one, we do have a limited DL spot. So there's only so much uh, there's only so much to be done. But I think on the reserve, I want to say, what do we have? Ten? I think it's a total of ten spots uh, between a reserve and a DL. So there there is some flexibility there. But uh, yeah, I, I just, I still don't get it. I, I'm still flabbergasted that he was able to get that much money. Uh, that much money hurt coming up when there's no guarantee with uh, how a guy's going to come back from Tommy John surgery. I mean, didn't they, didn't they learn their lesson? Of course, it's a whole, it's a completely different. I don't even know if it's the same ownership, but I mean, weren't they down this path with Corey Loopy? <laughs> they were. Uh... 
Yeah, I mean, maybe didn't they gave him like, a con- didn't they give him a whole uh, they gave him a whole pre agency deal and what did he throw like five innings after after that? Yeah, something like that. I think they're just banking on the upside because I mean, Garrett Richards can be an ace if he could just stay on the field. The problem is he's never stayed on the field, and as much as I love him, and as many times as I've predicted him to finish top three or even win the AL Cy Young, it just never came to fruition because dude could dude has. One season of 170 innings or more, um, and he was great yeah. in that one season. But uh, I just, I don't know. I just, I, I, I can't, I can't bank on it. And for fantasy, he, he shouldn't be on your draft boards for 2019. It's funny. I went to Baseball Reference and looked up Corey Lukey, and the very first article is something from the East Village Times that quotes Corey Lukey. About uh, about about the Garrett Richards deal. <laughs> the very the very first uh, the very first article. Oh, here it is. San Diego also hasn't had a lot of success with their Tommy John recipients, evidenced by Josh Johnson and Corey Lukey. Uh, oh, Josh Johnson. Oh. And here's a, here's the other one. Michael Pineda. Very similar timeline. Correct. Didn't Pineda go down about uh, July of uh, well, Pine- seventeen? Yeah, Pineda started pitching, but he, the reason he didn't. The reason he didn't pitch more at the end of last season is because then he tore his meniscus or something, right? Yeah, but what I'm saying is the financials. That wasn't Pineda uh, like a two nine deal. That sounds about right. I'll double check for you real quick. Yeah, I'm looking here. That's all I was. I'm looking here. Two ten. Two ten. All right. So what what caused us to jump five million dollars more? Well, Pineda is Michael Pineda. Sure. You you know my feelings. Tommy on John Pineda. surgery in July. It's it's almost it's a very very similar timeline. Yeah, um, and I mean one thing we did see was I mean he threw uh, twelve innings before tearing his meniscus, uh, sure. in in yeah. you know in the minors before being able to uh, before having to go back on the DL. So I mean as long as he is progressing well, I mean maybe we can get a handful of innings from Richards this year. Um, I still think, like you said, I still think it's a poor investment by San Diego. Uh, and I think it's a, um, uh, a poor investment for fantasy owners. I think the one thing this tells me is that the Padres are looking at 2020 as the year that is going to be theirs to make a, uh, a push. So if you have prospects in a dynasty league or keeper league that are Padres that are, you know, in you know, high A or, or, or higher in the system, there's a chance that they're going to be on the field in 2020. And we could also see them make some real pushes in the free agency market at that point as well. I think this, that this, if anything points to that being the timeline for, uh, uh, for the Padres to wanting to compete. So uh, let's go ahead and move on. Let's talk about uh, Alex Colomay. He gets traded to the Chicago White Sox uh, in exchange for Omar Narvez, who gets sent back to Seattle to fill uh, Mike Zanino's old spot. It wouldn't be a podcast if we didn't talk about Mike uh, Mike Zanino. (laughs) (laughs) But uh, let's start with Colomay. What are your thoughts on Colomay heading to Chicago? Is he the closer, and are you willing to invest? I think he's the closer because – Chicago made this move to flip him. I mean, clearly not a contending. Let's go ahead and try to take him because uh, they can they can flip they can flip Colomay for more than they can flip than they can flip uh, uh, Narvaez. So that's where so you give them the clo- like kind of like what they did with uh, Soria. 
We'll get them. We'll do what we can with them. Move them out, and that's the move here. So for fantasy value, this this definitely helps uh, because it was not. Well, this I mean, I guess the the whole Edwin Diaz trade is official now. I guess so. Maybe it would have helped if Colome would have just stayed there. Uh, so at the time the deal was made, it made sense. Uh, at now, it's it's just a lateral move for Colome because he went from having a job in Seattle to having one uh, in, in Chicago. Very likely to be traded in both situations. Very likely to pile up 20 saves by the All-Star break. Uh, much like last year, where where he got sent sent away by Tampa Bay and then lost all of his value. If you if you hated owning, owning him in 2018, you're going to hate owning him in 2019, too. Yeah, I don't know that I'm going to have a ton of shares of Alex Colomay <laughs> this year. I've <laughs> never been a huge fan of his to begin with. Um who knows how many games the White Sox are going to win. Uh, and so I, I I have my question marks about uh, whether or not he can actually load up 20 saves in the first half before getting traded. And more than likely, if he gets traded, he's going to go to a contender that's already got a proven closer. Uh, and he's not going to be closing. So I don't love dipping my toes in those kind of waters of rebuilding teams who are, who are getting a guy that we are pretty sure are going to flip. So... Uh, mm -hmm. I think for me, the one thing that I kind of like about this trade from the White Sox point of view is it means Wellington, uh, Wellington Castillo is going to be the everyday catcher, at least for through the trade or until the trade deadline uh, for, for the White Sox. And he got suspended last year. It's driven down his price considerably. Uh, Wellington Castillo is going to be on a lot of my one catcher uh, league uh, teams and uh, will probably be on a fair amount of my two catcher league teams. Fair enough. Uh, any thoughts on Narvez in Seattle? No, I mean he's a decent offensive, a decent offensive catcher. Uh, that's kind of where I have him. I mean, he's decent. Uh, he's not, uh, yeah, you know, the especially in an OBP league. Uh, so I'm liking him in that regard, uh, but I don't think there's much more upside. I mean, last year was a nice year uh, for him, and I think that's where he's. I don't know if there's another step up for him. I, I agree with you. I think he is a. 8-10 to 10 homer guy who's going to post a decent average. I think he is a nice uh, guy as a second catcher in a two-catcher league because he's not going to hurt you necessarily. Right. Yeah, um, he's definitely – in fact, I think I rostered him in one of my leagues. He was my second catcher Yeah. because think, of that. I think one of the things, especially with how atrocious the catcher landscape is right now, uh, what I'm looking for in a second catcher isn't upside. It's safety. I don't want negative value from from a spot on my team. And yeah. for those of you who play in two catcher leagues, you know the majority of your second catchers in those leagues are offering negative value. So for me, I'm going to uh, <laughs> I'm going to uh, go after a guy like Narvez as my second catcher because I don't think he's going to hurt me. He's not going to win me my league for sure, but he's not going to you know make it harder for me to win my league. All right, Agreed. let's uh, let's talk about another LOL signing, um, and I only say that because uh, when it happened, we both texted LOL uh, <laughs> to our group <laughs> chat with Paul and Eno. <laughs> um, uh, uh, Jesse Chavez signs a two-year deal to uh, pitch in Texas. What are your thoughts on Chavez in Texas? Uh, to me, the LOL part was I believe he's going to end up going in as a uh, they're going to go with the opener kind of thing. I mean, I like him in that capacity uh, if he's going to be playing like that. Uh, but overall, that's kind of where I'm 
that's where I'd like him. Uh, if they do that, where he can be like that Ryan Yarbrough that comes in, and if if I mean, the, but that the whole Ryan Yarbrough situation depends on Texas winning baseball games. That's that's where it becomes an issue. I mean, Yarbrough got hot when as the as the um, as Tampa Bay got hot. I mean, he was piling up all those wins in that capacity. So that's where I I have my concerns about how that works. I mean, as long as they're using him in that in that kind of role, yay. If they're looking at him beyond that, yee. Yeah, I'm looking at this rotation in in, in Texas and. You know, I'm I'm interested to see Johander Mendez get a full year under his belt. But when your top three pitchers are Mike Miner, Drew Smiley, and uh, Edens and Volquez, uh, things are not going to go well for your rotation. No, <laughs> uh, so <laughs> they're not. Maybe Chavez could provide a little bit of uh, the opener magic. I I don't want him on my fantasy team. You shouldn't want him on your fantasy team. Uh, yeah, let's, uh, let's just move on from there. Uh, let's talk about a guy that I used to want on my fantasy team a whole bunch, and now I don't know what's going to happen. It, obviously, we're going to be talking about him again in the somewhat near future, uh, because Billy Hamilton will sign somewhere. The question is, what will his role be going forward? He was non-tendered by the Reds. What are your thoughts on this move? You know, I saw a tweet from Jason Stark that said that he was aware of four teams that had made trade offers to the uh, Reds for Hamilton during the year that were declined, and now they get nothing for him. That's that that that's not good. Uh, you know, I he can still run, he can still play defense. We know he can't hit. I mean, when some when somebody say, "Hey, Billy Hamilton's hitting the free agent market," I'm like, "No, it's about the only thing he's hit in two years." Uh, you know, he was he's he pushed out there. He didn't hit anything. He pushed he's himself bunt, out he's to bunting, the free agent market. <laughs> bunting on the free agent market. Correct. So, I mean, I would like to see him. When you look at the expansion of of Coors Field, having him as a reserve outfield uh, outfielder in in Colorado would be sweet uh, to see how he can cover. I mean, he's he's going to have a weapon, uh, but the days of trying to draft the. I don't know if uh, if where he where a team could properly use him if he's going to see enough playing time to get the steals that we used to get out of Billy Hamilton. I mean, the 57, 58, 59, and then 34 last year. Uh, he's going to have to play to get back to that, and I don't know if that's possible. That said, uh, it, maybe at this stage of his career, and when I say stage, I mean he is just he turned 28 at the end of the year. Maybe he's now uh, we should be drafting him as we have. Rajai Davis and Jared Dyson uh, in recent years yeah. because that's where he is. Empty 30 steals is where you should feel safe projecting him. Uh, beyond that, I don't know what to tell you. Empty 30 steals and you draft him as you did Davis um, and, and uh, Dyson, who are always sitting around. We used to joke around at AL Tout Wars. Every year, Rajai Davis went in the reserves. Every year. And then at the end of the year, we'd look at our dollar values and he'd earn 8 to $10. It's like, how the hell does this keep happening in every league? But there it sits. Um, and that's, <clears throat> pardon me, that's where I think this could end up. I think it's going to be very interesting to see where he ends up. Because where he ends up obviously determines what kind of value he has. I don't think he's going to sign as a reserve outfielder. He, I mean, he is, uh, he's going to want to sign in a place where he's going to get full-time playing time. And so, the you know, one of the places, and 
I hate to say it. Uh, the Giants need a center fielder if you need a center fielder for a while. <laughs> Billy Hamilton can uh, cover a lot of ground in the outfield. Uh, he's, he's a very good uh, defensive outfielder uh, with that speed. Um, I think he's going to be the Giants' opening day center fielder, and I think he's going to play every day. Now, it'll be interesting to see what that means because it's not like the Giants have put a premium on running, though it's not like they've had any guys on the team who could run. You know, I, I was joking around with my staff, like, you know, he can play great defense. He hits below, or he, he has an OBP below uh, 300. If this guy was 10 years older, the Giants would sign him to a five-year deal. So, I think he, I think he's going to end up on the Giants or a team that's maybe rebuilding and needs a guy uh, that is exciting, needs a guy who can play some defense. Uh, but I don't think that he's going to end up as a backup, at least this year. All right, we'll see. Um, I mean, the Giants would would fit the bill. Uh, <laughs> the uh, I guess if you're dra- if you're in one of these early league, but most of these early drafts are slow drafts. It would be worth it would be worth taking a shot on him. I don't know, you know, like the late teen, like maybe I don't know, 18th round or something like that, and hoping he does do one of those things in the uh... where he's like, okay, we're signing him, and hey, here he is. I don't know. I'm just trying to think where he'd probably be be going right now in, in drafts, but we're, I'd be willing to take the, a round reach. We're in the 17th round of the uh, pitcher list uh, experts mock, um, and he is not gone. Now, this mock has been slow, very, very slow, and so the majority of this draft, he was still on the Reds. Um, he hadn't been non-tendered, so his dropping outside of the top 15 rounds in a 12-team league had nothing to do with uh, the fact that he is now searching for a team, I think you're going to be getting him in a number of leagues outside the top 200 picks this year. And I'll take that yeah. discount every day because if a guy who you took 215th doesn't pan out, oh well. But this guy has shown dollar values that could make him upwards of a top you know, three or four round pick in most formats in spite of the fact that he's nothing but steel. But... Uh, so you got to take the shot on them late, uh, but just make sure you've, you know, if you're in an OBP league, make sure you've built up that OBP base. And if you're in an average league, make sure you've built up that average base because it's uh, it's not going to be pretty. All right, let's, uh, we got two more to talk about. Uh, the Nationals uh, get a pair of catchers. They sign uh, Suzuki, the aforementioned uh, Suzuki, and then trade for Jan Gomes. Uh, how is this going to work? They, they just added two catchers. Uh Take a look at their catchers last year. They were atrocious. They were really bad. Atrocious on both at the plate and behind it. They were atrocious. I believe they had as a team the worst weighted runs created plus for catching uh, in the National League. I think Boston may have had it in the American League between Vasquez and Leon. Uh, but I'm almost certain the Nationals were the worst. And so they, they're clearly upgrading both um, here. Now how you play them. That's where it hurts. I, mean, I think Suzuki's been out over his skis here a little bit uh, the last couple of years, and I think that comes back down. Uh, where, and so I think Gomes at the end of the day, I can see this as like a 65-35 split with Gomes getting a majority, but that's about as high as I'm willing to go. That could go 60-40 or even 55-45. Uh, but I think it impacts Gomes' value a little bit, whereas we've already we already should have been – Looking at looking at uh, Suzuki and pulling him down a little bit because again I thought he was 
I thought he was a, a little high uh, the way he's at, been at the plate out of nowhere. How do you go from we we see late catching aging a lot uh, in the past where this at this age like all of a sudden hey here we come and then. Shoom, right down the toilet. Uh, I think that's where the risk, that's where you run a risk in that year two of that Suzuki deal. Um, but I, I like them. I like this better from a real baseball perspective than a fantasy one. Yeah, I do too. I'm, I'm probably not going to roster either of these guys, maybe Suzuki as a late catcher too, but I think he'll be gone by the time I get to that point in a draft. So um, I think people are going to be putting him towards the top part of their uh, uh, catcher two tier. And, that is uh, probably going to price me out. The one thing that's nice is he said at least 271 each of the last two seasons. I think that'll probably regress. I mean, we're talking about a 35-year-old catcher. So um, I'm, I'm surprised he even got a two-year deal. Uh, I you know, yeah. And uh, now I'm wondering, where, where's Wilson Ramos going to sign? Oh, yeah, I don't know. Colorado. Please go oh, to Colorado. Oh, man, that would be amazing. That would be amazing. Please go to Colorado. <laughs> um, I, yeah, I, love, I don't love the Buffalo. Uh, that would be amazing if he went there. Yeah. Uh, all right. Let's uh, let's finish up with the big trade. Uh, it took it. It felt like it took a week or two to actually finalize the trade. But it, at the end of the day, uh, Robinson Cano, Edwin Diaz are traded to the New York Mets in exchange for Jay Bruce Swarzak and a, a glutton of prospects. Um, to the Seattle uh, Mariners. Uh, thoughts on the deal and then thoughts on the players being uh, switched over? Uh, I, 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 like, I like Jay Bruce in this. And when you look at, you know, Jay Bruce was a 30 home run guy until last year when he had trouble with the plantar fasciitis and staying healthy. The best way to cure that is to get him off the field and let him DH. And as a full-time DH in Seattle, I like this. I think there's a very good chance he gets back to 30 home runs uh, in in the division, um, and, and not having to play the field. If he can stay healthy, I think of all the fancy values, his goes up the most here. Um, I think everything else uh, could be a, a lateral uh, situation. We know that the Mets aren't. Uh, you know, the Mets will probably lose uh, use Edwin Diaz as frequently as the Mariners did. So I don't know if that. Uh, comes over the league crossover, having to see his stuff for the first time. It's just a lateral move. I mean, but you know, he pitched so amazingly well early on. Uh, anytime you've looked back in the history of closers that have had that kind of year, the next step is typically back and not forward. So keep that in mind. Uh, I saw Andrew Perpetua talking about with Cano and his models uh, that Cano is going to lose a few home runs. I believe yeah, if like I have this nine, right, lose nine percent. Yeah. Not yet. Lose a little bit uh, moving over to City Field. And Andrew's done a lot of, of modeling um, and, and using multiple factors to, to we talked about. I actually had him over for Thanksgiving dinner this year, and we were talking about some of the stuff through um, his modeling in there. So, you know, overall, I think this is a very a positive for Jay Bruce. And if you liked him previously, you were frustrated by him last year. He's now in that last year's garbage, this year's treasure department. Even more so because he's in the perfect situation for him. Uh, I agree with you. I'm not a big Jay Bruce fan, but he, I may, you know, swoop him up in a in an AL only or two, just to uh, see what happens, or maybe even in um, a uh, like a, a draft and hold type situation, 15 team draft and hold. Uh, I'm interested to see if this impacts Cano's price or uh, or Diaz's price. 
Uh, I'm pro- I was going to probably be out on Cano to begin with, but I'm definitely out after, after go, go see Andrew's, uh, tweet string over on, on Twitter that he talks about Cano, uh, and the model that he uses. And it's, it's really interesting and it's, it's probably, pr- uh, getting me priced out on Cano on Diaz. I'm fine spending money on a top closer. I, I always have been, I think, especially uh, one with those ratios and, yeah, and the strikeout the and with the strikeouts, it's like. Man, especially as, as starters are not going uh, as deep into games and uh, pitching in many innings in a season, those closers who can provide you with high levels of strikeouts from just 70 or 80 innings are huge in the fantasy game. And I think we still have this kind of old school don't pay for saves mantra that rings uh, through our head. Uh, um, which was appropriate uh, when you know when Matthew Barry from uh, uh, from ESPN used to kind of scream that, but he also screamed it about ten team leagues. We're like we're not playing in ten team leagues for the most part, and I assume if you're listening to this podcast at the beginning of December, you're not playing in a ten team mixed league. And if you are, feel free to you know continue to punt saves. But I think a lot of us play in deeper formats, um, and the whole don't pay for saves thing. Isn't a great advice anymore. It's okay to pay for saves. Uh, you know, you don't want to pay for two top closers like that, especially in a snake draft where it's going to hamstring the rest of your offense. But I think Diaz is going to be fine. And the and the fact that you know Cano losing home runs means that Edwin Diaz could lose a couple home runs too off of his line. Uh, and it's not even like he gives up very many home runs. So uh, I I think he's going to be great in New York. I think. Uh, uh, if he, there's any sort of discount after this trade because people don't like the Mets and people like to joke about how bad the Mets are, that could have a negative impact on his ADP. So if that's the case, I'm going to be scooping up Edwin Diaz everywhere. Yeah, I just I don't know how much of a I mean, with the with the Mariners, the thing that, that really drove him and that it shouldn't be. If, unless you were paying close attention to the Mariners last year, really the thing that drove his value early on was just how many close games they were in. And we th- you, th- you think back through and, and how many they were winning. That was the crazy thing. They were winning an a, a normal amount of close games. And that's why uh, you know if you're looking at 2019, you really should be fading Seattle as a whole. I mean, they're, they're clearly changing their roster, but I mean, a lot, they had 89 wins last year and it felt like 70 of them were in the first half of the season, uh, the way, but they were in so many close games. Uh, and that's, that's really, that's really tough to do year over year, especially when you gut your roster, um, the way they did. And this comes from a fan who has watched a team that is played in a lot of close games year after year after year. But that's where those save opportunities, that's where Alex Colome came to fruition. You're like, man, how's this guy piling up saves? Well, shit, if your team's always in a three to two game, guess who's coming in? Uh, so that's where, yeah, and it could be the same thing with the Mets, but that's really where you have to watch to see how, uh, you know, how close things are. And then obviously with the NL rules, you know, in Seattle, they just used Edwin Diaz. You know, do the NL rules factor in how are they going to leave him in for more than one inning or is he a one inning and done guy if he comes in a three all right tie you're out next guy uh because oh my god you have to hit uh you know we'll see how that goes if you're gonna bank on anybody in the seattle bullpen to to get that closing job is it swarzak they still have Juan <sighs> Nicasio, james pazos uh i think the remains of dan altavilla is are, are floating around there Man, uh, yeah, I guess, I mean, 
you're looking it, to me. You're looking for a guy that you can pump up, inflate value, and move. And I think Swarzak's the the premium guy uh, in that capacity. Where let's give him the ball, let's get him some saves, and let's try to get something for him at the deadline. Yeah, I, I think I'm with you. I mean, it may be a committee between him and Acacia. I think Pazos, while he is an interesting uh, reliever, he's kind of the only left-handed short guy in, in that. Yeah. Uh, on that team, I mean, the only other lefty on that in that bullpen is their long man. So, I mean, and we liked and we liked we liked Swarzak in 2017 when he was healthy. Ratio, everything you looked at those numbers, you're like, yeah, that's closer. Last year wasn't healthy, still was able to strike guys out, but lost his command and just gave up home runs all over the place. Um, he's controlled costs. He's in a final year of it. Yeah, that's part of the reason why he was in that trade. This trade to begin with. He's in the final year of that two-year deal. He signed with the Mets. Uh, and so, you know, the return they're going to, even if they fl- uh, fluff up his value, they're only going to be able to get so much for him because at the you're not going to get the guy qualifying offer. He's going to walk. And so they're, and they're going to end up trading him for a guy that's not on somebody's 40-man roster by the deadline. Yeah, completely agree with you. All right, that's going to uh, wrap us up for uh, this episode. Uh, what do you got going on, Jason? Uh, this week I've got to go to New York City for my last business trip of the year, so I'll be leaving tomorrow, uh, getting home Wednesday, and uh, I don't know what I'm going to do with myself without UCF football for a few weeks. Mm. Well, you can you know, always watch the Redskins every piss away single their week. Oh God, they're not going to win another game. They just aren't. Uh, I, so yeah, I don't know what I'm going to do without that. Uh, and the weather sucks. I mean. We're hoping to get out and do some of the Christmas stuff here around town, uh, but we have all this rainy, crappy weather here this weekend, and it sucks. Uh, so we're gonna have to wait for next weekend. What about you? Uh, well, I've you know, daughter's finally home, so that's been great. Uh, took this whole last. Yeah, hey, that's week. great. Yeah, congrats on that. Thank you. I haven't, we haven't talked since that, so it's so awesome that 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 she's uh, that she's home. Yeah, she's I know, doing I mean, really well, keeping uh, us up at night, uh, pooping a lot, which I hear is is supposedly good. Um, you know, I mean, it's, it's my second, so it's not like I, I don't really like remember all of this, but it's been eight years. It's so. like your second first, but it's your second, it, it's like your first, your second first. I would agree. Cause this is a completely different situation. Oh yeah. And, and she's right? a preemie. So, so it's, yeah. Well, yeah. While it's a second child, it's your second first child because you got to treat this one completely different than your last one. Yeah. So it's, uh, it's been interesting, but uh, paternity leave is over in terms of my fantasy stuff, so I'll be back to podcasting and writing. Got, you know, football over at Fantasy Alarm, football and baseball at Friends of Fantasy Benefits. Start writing uh, player caps and stuff over here at Fangraphs. And uh, I need to start, I need to finish my ranks so I can do, uh, release my early ranks. But uh, yeah, should be seeing a lot of content from me uh, in all the various places. Sweet. All right. Well, uh, you have a great uh, weekend. I will talk to you next weekend. All right, buddy, you too. Thanks.